So we are so thrilled to be able to read together the Word of God. We welcome you to First Baptist Church of Monterey, and we study through uh, various books of the Bible, and we are just really starting as a third message into the book of Zechariah. Oh, yes, thank you. I forgot to release the kids after talking all about the kids. (laughs) It's like the good old days. I used to do it like for 10 years. I did that every Sunday. I'd forget. And somebody would go, Nate, Nate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've only been doing this 10 years. (laughs) So if you're a child, four years old through fourth grade, you may be dismissed to an amazing program, an amazing program for you downstairs in the castle room. So as I was saying, we're studying the book of Zechariah, and we're remembering, remembering that his name means uh, the Lord remembers. It's actually a theme of the book, I think, uh, that is that God is cognizant, he's aware of what's going on. He knows, and he remembers, and he, he remembers his promises, and he, he remembers his standards, his righteousness. Um, it's a book that's, as I said, it's post-exilic, post um, the big, big thing in Israel's history at this time is they were in captivity for 70 years in Babylon, and then the Persians took over Babylon, and they were rather generous, and they sent back uh, Israel to Judah. They sent the Jews back to Judah and allowed them to rebuild, allowed them to rebuild the city, the walls, and the temple. And it must have been so exciting. Oh, you know, finally, this amazing change uh, that we've been hoping for, praying for, longing for. And they get back into, and in our text today, it's called the Holy Land. There's two places in the Bible where Israel is called the Holy Land, and one of them is in our text today. They get back to the Holy Land, and then, just like life, it's not quite exactly what we hoped. It's, it's much more challenging, much more difficult. And there's opposition from outside. The local people are not that thrilled about having a whole, it was, I think it was like 42,000 Jews come move back into the vicinity of Jerusalem and start building things in our neighborhood. What are you doing? You know, stay away. We didn't want you here. Uh, so there's a lot of opposition, and then there's, of course, opposition from within to infighting. And what happened was the whole thing stopped. The temple, the foundation sat there for about 18 years, 18 to 20. And people would, you know, walk by it every day and just get more and more discouraged. And so this is a book about how to deal with life, life that is actually discouraging. Uh, you know, in my lifetime, uh, let's say, what, when did it start to happen? Ten years ago, they started making instant set-up tents. They're actually pretty marvelous. I've owned two of them now. And we have this one, and it literally takes like 90 seconds, three minutes to set up this really big tent that seven people can... S- sleep in. It's a marvelous thing. And, you know, life is very rarely that simple. (laughs) And that's what this is about. Life is complicated and difficult, and and we need encouragement. Uh, 
So God speaks and gives encouragement to his people. So we're looking at this. This is the second vision um, in the book, and actually the third vision, excuse me, uh, in this book, and it's chapter 2. Let me read it. And my title is, This is Big, and let's read the Word of God. I'll read the whole text, and then we'll break it out into three different parts. So, and I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire around, declares the Lord, and will be the glory in her midst. Verse 6. This is the the second section we look at today. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And here's what the Lord said. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now the third section we're looking at today. Sing and rejoice O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Allow me to pray. Father, in your kindness, Open your word to each of us today. We believe completely that it is your sovereign plan that you have perfectly composed uh, this group of people to spend some few minutes on this ancient Hebrew prophecy. You've brought us all here today and you have a message for us So, Father, our our prayer really is, 
Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us through your precious holy word. Through Christ we pray alone. Amen. Okay. So again, three easy parts for today's message. First of all, we have this little story uh, about, it's, these are visions that he's having, and by the way, all of these seem to be all in one night, a uh, very vivid, amazing night. Uh, he lifts up his eyes, and he looks, and behold, there's this, there's this freshness, there's excitement, like, whoa, look at that, oh my goodness, look at that, behold that. And there's this guy walking out with a, some sort of large measuring tape in our language. To Whenever you're going to build something, you've got to get a measuring tape, right? You've got to figure out how long it's going to be and where to cut it. You always say, measure twice, cut once. Remember that. I always get it mixed up. <laughs> uh, measure twice, cut once. But he's out there with a measuring line. And verse 2, it says, uh, uh, Zechariah says to him, where are you going? And he says, well, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And then he says, and behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him, and he said to him, run, say to that young man, and it's possible that this is the guy in the vision with the measuring tape, or it's possible that this is Zechariah. Frankly, it probably doesn't matter exactly who it is, but The angel is saying, run, you know, get some energy going, uh, run toward this guy, and say this, verse 4, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls. It's going to be uh, suburb upon suburb upon suburb, no walls around it. You guys are all worried about, well, is the wall going to be built? Are we going to get this little thing finished? And he's saying, God's plan actually blows you away completely. It's way bigger than that. I love the second phrase there, too. Because of the multitude of people. God's expecting a, a population boom in Jerusalem. And, but no, notice also a multitude of people and livestock in it. In other words, it's, not, uh, it's, a, it's a city with all the economics that go with it. Livestock and people filling up Jerusalem beyond capacity. Uh, your, your measuring tape is too short. <laughs> You'll get, you're going to need a longer measuring line because God's plan is way bigger. We get discouraged about the little things that don't work. And this revelation is, is saying, you know, get your head up and think big, think larger, because the Lord has a, a fantastic plan. In fact, his plan far exceeds our expectations, right? His plan far ex- exceeds our experience. You know, if you, it's easy to look at just, just what's happening in front of us, just what's happening in our lives, what's happening in our children's lives, and, and, and be discouraged because, you know, it seems like there's a lot of difficult things, opposition, a lot of uh, people getting off track. A, a lot of time we talk about pray, pray, pray. Why do we have to pray so much? It's because we're constantly praying that God will bless and help and bring and change and change hearts, change thinking and bring people back to himself. And, and so God says, 
you know, get bigger expectations. Know that I'm going to do a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we're not connecting to something that's defeatist and small and insignificant. It's bigger and bigger. You know, we use this. You'll hear Jeremy. He's the guy on the keyboard. He's our music and college pastor. By the way, the Amy they were talking about was standing here singing. She's the one that's like generation five or something like that. That's just, that's an added benefit. I don't know where that fits in anything. Oh, (laughs) I was talking about Jeremy (laughs) who stands here. He'll read this as a benediction. We always close with a biblical benediction, right? Ephesians 3.20, you're very familiar with it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Believers are to be meditating on God's great power and the fact that he is going to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. We should be optimistic. We should be hopeful. We should be constantly in prayer for God's big victory to come. Think bigger. Think bigger. It's going to be a beautiful big city. This is a nice picture of Chicago. Um, And Chicago is kind of a mini illustration of this, right? If you've ever been to Chicago, it's about the city, which is an amazing city. And then it's the suburbs upon suburbs upon suburbs that reach down to Gary, Indiana. Um, I recently watched a little thing on public broadcasting system on the, on the television about, uh, about Walt Disney. I don't know if any of you saw that. Uh, Walt Disney is an amazing American, in some sense I think very tragic and sad case, because I don't think he knew the Lord Jesus at all. Um, but uh, given that, he's still an amazing American. And you know, one of the things he really liked was, was toys and and. He loved trains, model railroads. And then he got into the, the bigger model railroads where the locomotives are like this long and they're like this wide. And you can actually sit on top of them and ride them around your backyard. So he spent a lot of his money on, on this big toys that he used to get on and ride around and have his kids ride around. And then he got to thinking about, well, maybe we should make a, a, a park where we can have that sort of thing, a big, a big special place, a place of, of uh, imagination, right? And so he, he sketched up this plan. He called, called it Disneyland. You can barely see it. It's, that's kind of the sketch. It sort of smudges on a piece of paper. Uh, and he needed money for it. So that's when he actually started to get into television and started the Mickey Mouse Club to make money so that he could have this place of uh, amazing joy for people to come. So he bought the big berry fields down in Anaheim, looked kind of like that. And then, of course, then he built it. He built it. And he was there every day supervising all the construction of this amazing thing called Disneyland. And it's still a, a beautiful place to visit today. Now, that's a little story about somebody who had a plan to do something good and sort of no one had done this before 
<laughs> no one had thought of a whole place that's a special place that uh, people can go to and just enjoy themselves, uh, you know, after paying an enormous amount at the <laughs> gate, right? <laughs> well, you know, just use that as a little illustration of this idea of God. God's, God's First of all, God won't have to do television shows to fund his plan. (laughs) He's infinitely wealthy and fully capable. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of all capability, Lord of all armies. And he says, I'm going to build a city that's so amazing. And in our text, it's, you know, need I say, it's way better than Disneyland. No, I don't need to say that. Um, Look with me at... Matthew 13, quickly. Remember, Zechariah is almost really close to, Ze- uh, to Matthew, right? Just go a couple of books forward, and you're into Matthew 13. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew uh, 13, verse 31 and 32. Uh, some parables that Jesus taught about the success of the church, the success of the kingdom of heaven. He says, he put, this is verse 31 of Matthew 13, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's like insignificant. You can beat this thing up. You can crucify its founder. You can kill the prophets. You can kill the apostles. Um, You know, it's a very insignificant movement thing, right? It's a little grain. He, he puts it in a field, but what happens? It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in it. Uh, and he tells actually other parables here, which we're not going to get into, but Jesus is saying that The beginning of the kingdom of heaven looks very insignificant. Don't discount God's power. Uh, God takes this. This is an actual acorn that is um, sprouted, obviously. We uh, are blessed to live in an oak forest. And our grandchildren are around the house these days. And uh, Serenity is wearing these little you know, shirts and things gathering up all the acorns. They're all over the place. So we've actually seen, we have seedlings in our yard that are, you know, six, eight, ten feet tall, some of them, that grew from little acorns. We saw them when they were this tall. Um, And, of course, this little tiny acorn becomes a mighty oak, right? And, And that's what Zechariah is saying to the people. God has a very, very big plan, and... He is going to accomplish it. Don't give up on your faith in God simply because the immediate situation looks discouraging, depressing. No, don't give up. Look at our text. The center of this thing is amazing. I I ended on livestock in it. I, I tend to think, by the way, that this is sort of multi-layered. Prophecies are multi-layered. They have fulfillment here, there, and, and beyond. Uh, and for here, these words were honestly barely fulfilled. You can't really say they were fulfilled in human history up to this point. Because look at this next phrase. It says, verse 5, 
And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. I will be the glory in her midst. This is an amazing, beautiful prophecy. Glory. God, in the center of this city with the people and the livestock, is this amazing, all-encompassing, fantastic glory of God that far exceeds any joy or pleasure we could ever have. The glory of God is, is the essence of his presence and is fully satisfying and amazing uh, that this, in the center of this city is this glory. And it kind of reminds you of what? Well, when the people wandered in the wilderness, there was the cloud, a bright cloud in the day, and then at night there was the fire, right? And here he's saying, I'm going to build a fire around you and protect you, a, a wall of fire all around, and in the midst there will be glory. See, so what I'm saying is, honestly, historically, that hasn't happened yet uh, because the Jews never got to that point of, of luxuriously amazing protection from God and the actual, the, for example, they built a temple, but there's actually no record of God's glory moving into that second temple. Uh, has you know didn't happen, and then of course the Greeks were beating them up really badly, and then the Romans destroyed them really badly. And to this day, you might say, "Aha!" You know, I I was born in '59, and it was like 1948, I believe. Israel was restored, and a lot of people in the church got this is fantastic. You know, Jesus is coming back because look, the prophecies are fulfilled. Israel is. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Have you heard anything about what's happening in Israel ever? You know, it's not this. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a mosque where the temple of God belongs. <laughs> it's a split city. It's a city where they argue over bits of ground. And there's no firewall protecting them. Uh, oh, you could say, hey, what about the Six-Day War? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was amazing. Uh, but... They are, it's fragile. And plus, they're officially sort of atheistic, by the way, in Israel. So, it's not the fulfillment. Of the, this is way bigger and better, okay? And it's, it's, it's coming, and, and it's partly fulfilled in the church itself. We are Jerusalem. Uh, but I think there's something even bigger and better on God's horizon, because he loves to create physical realities that are beautiful and amazing. And I think it's just going to blow us all away. So fire and glory are in its midst. Okay, I don't have a lot of time today, so let me move to part two. Let me make Wait a minute. Let me check, see if I missed the most amazing points. Uh, no, I, I think I kind of hit that pretty good. So part two, part two, verse six uh, through nine. It, it's up, up. Actually, Hebrew is ho, ho. Oh, not, not like Santa, of course. <laughs> up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. And it's kind of, honestly, if you're interested in the grammar of this, that word declares the Lord, it's actually the Lord's utterance. The word utterance is a noun. You see, it's not a verb in this, this sentence, this paragraph. Isn't that cool? This is the Lord's utterance. This is it. 
It's like, whoa, he said it. It was his word. Um, the Lord's utterance. For I have spread you abroad. The Lord's utterance. Verse 7. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me, I think that's saying that this glory of God sent Zechariah to the nations, the goyim, the goyim who had plundered you. And why? Because for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. There's all kinds of interesting things going along here because the Lord worked through Babylon to bring discipline and punishment to his own people. And yet Babylon, they did it, but we'd say they did it in their own free will. They did what they wanted to do. And, and you could politically describe everything that happened to Israel. This happened because Babylon wanted to, to rule the world and take over the world. And, and that's exactly what happened. But God sovereignly works through all of these things, and yet they are held accountable for the evil that they perpetrated. They are held accountable because they did it. They weren't compulsed. They did it on their own free will. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will... Sh- this is the what, what the Lord finally says. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So, quickly, what, what does this say to us? Well, he says, first of all, you, you get up and go. You know, ho, ho, move, get going. In, in light of this reality that God is bringing salvation and he's going to build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's got a huge plan to build Jerusalem that, will, that has no borders. <laughs> it's massive and wonderful, and the, the glory is in the midst of it. Think of a, a wonderful relationship with people when things are working really well, and you're, you're laughing, you're communicating, you're enjoying each other. There's moments where it's, it's truly glorious. You know what I mean? It's a timeless moment. You're, 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 you're floating, and it's wonderful. It's an, a glorious experience uh, that God gives us, in, say, in marriage, or in just friendship, and family, acquaintances that we know really well. Not Facebook, Facebook friends. <laughs> Far better than that. There's glory in the center of the city. Given all that, that that's true, what should we do? Get up and go. Repent. Live as if this were true. Return. Restore. Come back to God. Quit playing around with the things that keep you away from God. This is a strong call for action. Honestly, as I was first reading this, sort of summarizing it, I thought, okay, God restores his people. God will bring them back from captivity. It's a true statement. But it's not what this text says. This text says, you, God's people, you get up and go. You You start moving. You start repenting. You start living as if this is all true, which it is. We need to live as if the kingdom 
is a shining light right now. It is, but on the other hand, we need to live even when we don't see it that way. Uh, the people of God are called to action. This is, by the way, parallel text. Uh, Isaiah fifty-two eleven. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. You know, we we all struggle with various sins in our lives. You know, and and uh, God, this is His advice: quit it, stop it. Don't touch it. Touch no unclean thing. Cut it out. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves. We're supposed to live in God's city where the glory's in the middle and God's presence is there. So let's sanctify ourselves. Let's repent. You who bear the vessels of the Lord. God is the one who spread them abroad. uh, But... He is cognizant. He remembers they have been touching the apple of his eye, and he's highly protective. This is, you know, an idea about your pupil is the apple of your eye. We're rather protective of, you know, our eyes, right? (laughs) You know, let me poke you in the eye with this pen. Uh, No way. And God says, that's how I feel about you. Uh, You are the apple of my eye. I'm highly protective. I know what you're going through. I I care. It hurts me when you're being hurt. So therefore, therefore know that I'm working and I call you to repentance. And then look at the last bit of this, uh, part number two. Um, Verse nine. The, the word of God, behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder. This did happen, of course. Babylon did fall, uh, as I said, to the Persians, uh, Medes and the Persians, and they, they uh, fell. Uh, I like the last phrase, though. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. What is this saying? We'll know that the word of God is verified. It's true, 100% true. The word of God is true. These things have taken place. They will take place. But the issue is, do you believe it? People doubt the word of God. It's stupid to believe it. It's, you know, that's written by men, uh, filled with errors, all these sorts of false arguments against the Bible. The Bible is 100% true. All of these prophecies will take place. And, And so the wise one is, to live as if it is true. Now, the final part uh, of this passage for today. It's, how should we respond? This text is beautiful because it tells us how to respond. First of all, the re- response is in part two. Repent. You know, repent and purify yourselves and come to the Lord. Every Sunday, we're renewed and refreshed and called to repent. But then look at verse 10. Sing. And rejoice, O daughter of Zion. This whole text is about being optimistic and expecting God's good work, trusting his plan for the future. And here it says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. So we're called literally to sing, to have joy. Uh, you know, there's nothing more absurd than flowers. 
I mean, what, what is a flower? It's, you know, it's just a bunch of cells, and uh, they're th- totally worthless. <laughs> you can't eat them. Okay, you can eat some of them, I know, but that's not their purpose, I don't think. Uh, but they're, they're, it's about you know, unexpected, beautiful joy, like a tulip that grows out of this nasty onion-looking thing. Uh, it's a glorious statement of beauty and joy, because of the truth of the gospel, we ought to be people who are generally optimistic. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We're called to be joyful, not distracted. And then, just a shift of gears. Uh, let's read the text here. It says, uh, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day. Uh, and again, we see that in the church. Uh, there, oh, there's many, many, many nations are joining themselves to the Lord. But I think there's a future fulfillment as well to this to come. In that day, it's going to be a massive global movement. And Jesus will be worshipped by all. And all will uh, acknowledge his lordship. He says, and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Again, the word is verified when these things come true. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land. I think there's a geographical uh, tag here. In the Holy Land, the Lord Jesus is going to inherit Judah, that portion in the Holy Land. And I will again choose Jerusalem. Beautiful words there. Because uh, you could say, Lord, you've rejected us. And he's renewing his vows. <laughs> I haven't forgotten my covenant. I'm still choosing you, O Jerusalem. And then finally, verse 13. We're joyful, and now, he says, be quiet. <laughs> be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. For he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And I, I see in that sort of a, a reverence. Um, the same God who made beautiful, amazing flowers also makes solemn woods and things that call us to a sense of reverence and awe. And here he says, I want you to fear me, have a reverential fear for me. Okay, let me sum it up. Three parts. These are what I believe all three parts are saying. First of all, salvation is bigger than we think. Uh, Jerusalem really actually doesn't even have borders. It's going to be so amazing. Uh, it's fantastic. Let's not be, let's be optimistic. Let's be joyful. Let's not be distracted or give in to discouragement because of the current situation. Salvation is, is all about full repentance. You know, wake up, get moving, do it now. Salvation is about full repentance and restoration. And then finally, our response should be joy and reverence. Joy and reverence. We should be joyful people, but there is certainly a time for quiet reverence as well. Uh, And all things to God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, we just pause here at the end of this worship service to thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with your big plan. Uh, We look forward to... Uh, your dwelling. We know that the Holy Spirit is living within us and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit even now. 
Oftentimes our experience is not there due to our sin. Oh Lord, we pray that we repent and sense your presence in greater ways and be optimistic and joyful. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd give us power to repent, to return, to come to you, to live as if this is all true as we know it is. And then, Father, we thank you for this text that tells us to be joyful, to rejoice in you, and yet also to be silent and have a sense of reverence and fear in your presence when you have roused yourself. Give us these gifts, we pray, through Christ. Amen.